Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. And so today we are going to be talking about something, and I'm calling it sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. Now, obviously, none of us are going to raise our hands and say, I'm a habitual sleepwalker, but if you are, that would be interesting. Talk to me about it later. Hopefully, there's good stories. Uh, but you know what's funny for me is that when we th- we're going to look today about the sleeping patterns of Jesus and his disciples because you might be surprised at what you might kind of uncover through that. But before we do, you know, I can't talk about sleepwalking without a good sleep schedule. Probably 10 years ago, I was at uh, DTS, and at the time, actually a little bit longer than 10 now, um, but uh, I was at DTS, and I remember, don't wake me up when I was 18, 19 in the morning because you might catch some hands. Um, I was not, I did not like waking up, uh, still is a little bit of a struggle, but when you're an adult, you kind of have to, some of you guys who maybe you can write that down. Um, so, uh, but here's the thing is I remember, um, back then I was probably 18 years old. And so, you know, when you're 18, you don't go to bed, you know, until it's in the AMs and, uh, I got woken up and, and somebody was jostling my shoulder and I kind of said some things, and then my, they were jostling my shoulder, and I kind of shoved their hand away, and then they jostled. And I turned over, and I was hot, and I looked, and it was a policeman. <laughs> and uh, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, hi, officer. I'm in bed in my skivvies, just looking straight at, like, you're in my house. And I lived in a house with about six guys, and they said, hey, we had a 911 call from here. And you guys probably are like, wow, what happened? It got super serious. Long story short, pulls everybody out of the room. There's six of us. There was a 911 call here 15 minutes ago. All are, we know your doors were locked because this guy let us in. Do you know anything about it? And we kind of came to the conclusion that somebody had woken up, slept, walked, and dialed 911 in the house, and the police woke us up. Still don't know to this day what that was about, but I do know that there was two guys in my house who possibly definitely could have done that. I don't have time for another story about that, but man, there's a really good one to talk about. Okay, um, so what I'm really, what I'm trying to get around today is the point that I think a lot of the times, you know, in our Western belief system, here's what I would use to describe a sleepwalking Christian, is mild church attendance, trying to kind of have good morals and good standards, trying to make the best decisions that you can, maybe being in the Bible once in a while, and that, that's what I would use to describe, and I'm, I'm sorry if I just described your entire spiritual being, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do today because what we need to realize is the lifestyle of following God is so much more than just practical decision-based behavior or schedule segmented time, but it truly is, God, I want to walk in my life, in my day-to-day, in my being with you. And so today what we're doing is we're really trying to challenge the conception of doing the bare minimums and wondering why we're not stepping into the full blessing, not blessing within the comfort and narcissistic focus of blessing, but the blessing of real awareness with the Father. See, the greatest blessing isn't what God can do to you, it's what he can do in you. And a lot of us, what we want is we want to follow God and see what God can do out here instead of in here. And so sleepwalking is us getting past the phase of God. I just want to see you out here, but it's us realizing, God, what is it you're trying to do in here? And I'm open and responsive to that. Because here's what you need to know. God is a God who knows when you're playing games. 
He knows when you're going through the motions, when you're doing the bare minimums, when you're kind of holding on for dear life, and he wants you to get more. But at the same time, it's just a lot easier to kind of go through and be like, God, I'm totally in. And God being like, yeah. Case in point, great video about this. Tech team, if you could take it away. There was a young man in Calvary. Uh, his name was Ben. And I was running a youth group. I was there for a few years. And um, he was just, he was a nice kid, but he was one of those kids that was always just, he's a real smart aleck. He was, just, was, was a bright kid, which didn't help things, right? Made him more dangerous. And we were outside one day, youth group, and uh, he was just, just trying to push my buttons. And he was just, you know, kind of not taking the Lord serious. And I walked over to him, and I went, bam! I punched him in the chest as hard as I, I crumpled the kid. I just crumpled him. And I said, I leaned over and I said, Ben, when are you going to stop playing games with God? I led that man to the Lord right there. There's times that that might be needed. There is times when that might be needed. So today for the altar call, if you want the Lord, I want you lining up here. Me and Ben Weiss, we're dishing them out. When are you going to stop playing games with God? Oh, it's an incredible video. If you want, you can visit that pastor in prison. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Not really. Maybe. I don't know. This day and age for sure. Back then, maybe not. Unless he was like in Nebraska or something. I don't know. Why did I say Nebraska? Um, but, you know, once again, though, what am I trying to get, the, the, get across? You guys are like, what does that video have to do with anything? Don't worry. You liked it. Oh. Uh, once again, I think a lot of the times is we, we think God doesn't know when we're, not, when we're not like fully in. Like we think that God maybe doesn't see like, oh, you know, I go to church on Sundays, but Friday nights. Oh, you know, God, I totally follow you, but my standards in dating are so low that, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, oh, you know, God, I, I, I really like to follow you, but I can't, I can't remember the last time I was in my Bible. Oh, God, you know, I really want you to be the center of my being, but all of my relationships are with people who don't follow you and actually probably pull me down and actually drag me down a little. See, this is sleepwalking tendencies where maybe we're not aware of these behavioral habits, but what they're actually doing is they're dulling us to the awareness of who God is. And so today, really what it's about is us saying, and, and you know, not to tie this video in a little bit more, but I mean, hopefully it's not a physical punch that gets you aware of who God is and what he wants to do with your life. But a lot of the times it can be circumstantial. It can be health. It could be a relationship. It could be something where God's trying to get your attention as to a change of plan or direction. And the only way he can do it because you're sleepwalking is through your circumstances. And that's what's sad today in the church is that really the only time I feel like we're ever aware of God is when we're on rock bottom and we have nowhere else to turn because every level of our control has led our life to be out of control. And so what happens is, is God gets every chance when we're on the bottom, but we're in, when we're on top, we don't need his control anymore. See, sleepwalking is just easier, but it's not worth it. So what I want to do is I want to read a couple passages and once again, bringing it back, we're talking about Jesus' sleeping patterns and his disciples. So Jesus' sleeping patterns, here we go, a famous passage of Scripture in Mark 4, 35 through 41. It says this, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took with them in the boat, uh, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. 
and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the, st- in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Just before this, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with, once again, the little boys, fish and the loaves. He's done incredible miracles. His disciples have seen him turn impossible to possible. So I love how quick they can go to worst case scenario. What am I saying? I think a lot of the times it's just easier to live in worst case scenario reality than faith reality as believers. I can't tell you how many times I get around people who we say, oh yeah, I follow God, but every opportunity to look through a lens of faith versus worst case is not existent. It's like, oh, I just abs- I accidentally got a hangnail. Oh, it needs amputated and actually I need to amputate my whole arm and now I have cancer. It's like, where did you even get that? Web and like, like we can be worst case scenario people all the time where it's like, oh, this said, they said this. So because they said it, this is true. And that happened. Now the world's on fire. We're all going down. It's like, do you even believe that God is a good God? That God has a plan to prosper you, to give you hope in a future, that he's faithful to complete the good work that he's placed inside of you? Or do you just, do you just follow God but not really follow God because it's much easier to sleepwalk and just respond to what everything is going on outside and then kind of sleepwalk through the, the status of what it means to actually have a spiritual life and not really grasp him fully than it is to actually override our senses and say, no, I'm not a worst case scenario. I've seen God in the past and I know he can handle the storm. I find it interesting Jesus is asleep in the stern. Why is that? Is because if you know anything about fishing boats back then, it wasn't, it was sail oriented for sure. But at the same time, the boats were constructed to, to be able to hold a lot of weight of fish. So they were spread out and lower in nature and they would sit lower in the water. But here's what you need to realize is when the sail would hit the wind, if you know anything about boats, when they pick up speed, that front end picks up a little bit. It picks up. Jesus is asleep in the stern, the boat's filling with water. Where do you think the water's going? back to his waterbed cushion. So we see Jesus asleep in a boat with water all around him, passed out, and everybody else thinks they're going to die. I just, once again, and not only do they think they're going to die, but they think it's worst case scenario. We're genuinely going to die. And for me, what's interesting about this story is that Jesus is not responding to an outward problem. He's responding off of his inward climate. I can rest because I know who's in control. See, this is what we learned early about Jesus' sleeping patterns, is that he doesn't respond to this because he's rooted in here. And see, a lot of us, maybe if you observe your life, everything that you respond to outside, you respond to before you can even assess what's going on in here. I'm not a worst-case scenario Christian because I believe in a God who can you know, I even, I was on a Zoom call not too long ago, and it was funny. I was joking with my dad about this. I was on a Zoom call with probably 10 or 12 pastors, and we were all talking about COVID, and literally 90% looked like they borderline had gotten dragged behind a truck because it was just, it's no offense. It's been brutal a little bit to lead a church, but for me, uh, I, I've actually enjoyed the fact that limitation has gave us a breeding ground for creativity. It's gave us a breeding ground to think outside of the box, and that makes me come alive. Worst case scenario says, what is going on? Let's get back to the old way of doing things. 
But faith-based scenario is, God, what are you doing right now? And what is it that you're wanting to rearrange, reorganize, reprioritize, and maybe redirectionally lead me in? So what I'm, what I'm essentially trying to say today is that a lot of the times we wonder why God isn't responding out here. And it's because he's trying to get our attention in here. See, when in here is right, outside falls in line. And even when it's not falling in line, you know that down the road it will fall in line. At some point, eventually, God is still going to be in control. Even if it's past my time frames, even if it's outside my comfort levels, God's still good. And he's still going to work it together for me. But the second story is where I find interesting because we're talking about, that was Jesus's sleeping patterns. Let's talk about the disciples because what we actually see here in Matthew 26, 36 to 46 is a passage of scripture that spoke a lot to me about Jesus's awareness of his internal posture and his disciples' awareness of nothing to do with inward posture. And it says this, then Jesus went to his, with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I love the, the imagery here because I think many of us, we don't understand the gravity of what's going on when we read the Bible like this. Jesus has never been this despondent in front of his disciples. I mean, and if you actually research, it's widely, widely assumed and written about that he's literally sweating blood because of the, the distress that his body is under. So listen here. He falls on his face, crying out to God, sweating blood, looking at his disciples saying, hey, can you stay here and pray with me? What do you think his disciples' natural reaction to be? Obviously stay awake. Jesus is on his face, crying out begging God, sweating blood, and looking at you and saying, hey, will you keep watching, pray with me, and let's continue reading. It says this. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. I love that part. Why? Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He asked Peter directly. See, we missed this note because Jesus is praying for it to get past his crucifixion and God would give him the strength. But he's also looking at Peter knowing in the next few hours he's going to deny him three times. So he's looking at Peter's inward and he's saying, you maybe are thinking this is the middle of the night and nothing's going wrong, but I'm looking at you saying in a few hours, you're going to have an identity crisis where you're going to question everything you believe. You're going to deny me three times and have a very, very difficult time coming to the reality that I'm gone and what your role is to the point where you're going to return to fishing and I'm going to have to re-enlist you. So I'd really like it if you stayed awake and maybe prayed a little bit. What am I trying to say? The outside circumstances, Peter's like, it's the middle of the night. It's time to sleep. Jesus is like, yeah, it's time to sleep, but you don't realize that you're going to need me tomorrow and your need for me tomorrow starts with your choices today. So Peter's looking and he's like, God, like, yeah, okay, I'll pray with you a little bit. Like, you need to wipe yourself down or something because you're looking a little intense. Like, dude, why are we praying in the middle of the night? Like, yeah, okay, my flesh, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Man, I'm not going to lie. If there is one 
one Bible verse that sums up all of American Christianity and really just people in general when we want to follow God, it's that bottom line. Man, Sunday morning, all, I hope all of us when we leave, our spirits are super willing. But Monday morning, I'm not going to lie, all of our flesh feels pretty weak. What am I trying to say? Jesus is saying a prayer right now, not just for him, not just for, his, not just for Peter, not just for the sons of Zebedee. If you know anything about this story, all of his disciples desert him except for John. It actually says that he had to rebuke them when he came back because they weren't receiving what the, what the witnesses had said about his resurrection. He literally had to show up and rebuke their unbelief that they didn't believe he rose from the dead. All of them! Not just doubting Thomas, all of them. What does that mean? See, it's a lot easier to follow God in flesh and blood like the disciples were until he's gone. And then all of a sudden that flesh and blood isn't there and are we still following? See, that's what we face today. We don't follow the flesh and blood version of Jesus. We follow the lifestyle and the practicalness of pursuing deep relationship with him. And that just doesn't necessarily feel the best in our culture, it doesn't necessarily constitute a time commitment like really it needs to in our culture. It's just so easy to just say, man, my spirit is always willing, God, but my flesh can't bench press 20 pounds. Let's keep reading. It says this. He went away a second time. Listen to how many times he's going away and praying and coming back. He comes, goes away a second time and prays, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. This is the third time. And listen to this, because their eyes were heavy. See, I'm going I'm to take this a step further. I think a lot of the times it's just easy to tap out of following God because our eyes are heavy, our hearts are heavy, our minds are heavy. Our thoughts are heavy. Our schedules are too heavy. I mean, heaviness is, especially in the last year, year and a half, that temptation is easy to slip into. The heaviness of what it means to live in a pandemic, the heaviness of what it means to not be able to gather in community, not just from a church perspective, but dang, going out to eat with a friend, I never thought I'd take that for advantage. Like a year and a half ago, if you would have looked at me and said, you can't go to restaurants and eat indoors, I would have looked at you like, what? But this is essentially what I'm saying is that that heaviness a lot of the times translate to just going through the motions because the only thing you can really commit to is the bare necessities of existence. And what's funny to me is the bare necessities of existence for a lot of us is I have a 40-hour work week. I need to eat and sleep everything else. Or some of us, I have a 60-hour work week. Or some of us, I'm a student, so I go to school, I play my sport, I eat and I sleep, everything else. I, and I'm not trying to say this from a basis of us, of you guys saying, oh, you know, you're a pastor, so you get it. No, I'm going to tell you this. The, the top three things for me, I form, formulate my life around in everything that I do, is my personal time with the Lord, my time with my wife, and my physical fitness. That's, that's those three things. Because I know that is directly related to longevity. For a lot of us, we're living our lives not related anything to longevity at all. It's like nothing we do other than the longevity of paying our bills. Nothing that helps our mental health. Nothing that helps our spiritual health. Nothing that helps our physical health. And then we come to God and say, God, will you help me? You're like, you ain't doing nothing to sustain. 
You're not putting anything in your soul that will give you strength for the day. You're not putting anything in your mind that will renew your thinking above the cultural way of listening. You're not doing anything for your body to continue to pursue me. And I'm not even trying. That's a, that's a message on wholeness because a lot of the times we equate wholeness with just a spiritual reality. No, it was every part of Jesus. Wholeness. And Paul even wrote about it. Their eyes were heavy. What is the heaviness that has put you to sleep of being aware of what God wants to do with your life? Because chances are, if you look deep inside, you probably can find something. Verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time. Saying the, same time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. See, these guys don't even realize what God's praying, Jesus is praying about. And they're falling asleep every single time. Newsflash, Easter's next week. We just talked about that. This is a great passage of scripture to marinate because it's right before he's about to be crucified. So our traditional celebration of Good Friday is really the persecution of Jesus unto his crucifixion, right? We're talking about right before it, which is pretty much right around our time frame window right now. What am I trying to say? I guarantee if Jesus would have said, hey, tomorrow at this time, I'm going to be hanging on a cross. You're going to see me whipped, nailed, and beaten, battered and broken. Will you pray with me? You know what everybody would have done? Been wide awake praying. What am I trying to say? Think about it. If Jesus would have told his disciples, hey, tomorrow... You're going to see me scourged, you're going to see me beaten, you're going to see me broken, you're going to see me nailed to a piece of wood, and you're going to see me hanging in front of people, and you're going to see me die. Will you pray with me? Most people would have looked at him and said, I'm praying. Why? Because hindsight's always 2020. See, a lot of us, if I told you right now, your prayers will determine how you handle your problems tomorrow. A lot of us, if I told you, your depth in the scripture will determine if you can get through what you're going to deal with this week, I think maybe some of us would sign up a little bit more if we realized the gravity of the problem we're going to face and the need for the power that we're going to need to get through it. And man, a lot of us, what we do, we live in a culture and a society that works like this. I do this, I get this. You know what that is with God? God, I do this. And you know what God says? Okay. God, I do this. Okay. God, I do this. Okay. And then all of a sudden, God, I've done this. Where is this? What do you mean? Well, God, I've, done, I've read my Bible four times. I don't feel different. Okay. Well, God, I've been to church three times. My life's the same. Okay. What am I trying to say is that once again, we come to God with this reality of a, of a trade-based system. It doesn't work like that. And some of us, we need to just get out of that reality and just start practicing what it means to be consistent, to be faithful, to be wholehearted, to be obedient, all things that none of us want to say or do. And then trust that, guess what? He will give you the power. He'll give you the ability. He'll give you the strength. And he'll give you what you need.
So what I want to do is I want to give us a couple things this morning. A couple things, how to make sure you're awake for the things that matter. How to make sure you're awake for the things that matter. The first one is this. If we have no prayer life, we will have no life in Christ. You know, when I say the term prayer life, most of us immediately are like, Ugh, uh, prayer? Why? This, this quote I felt like summed it up really well. It's a Dallas Willard, who's a guy I really respect and admire. It says this, don't seek to develop a prayer life. Seek a praying life. A prayer life is segmented into times of prayer. A praying life is a life that is saturated with prayerfulness in which you seek to do everything that you do as a human with the Lord. See, a lot of us, we equate a prayer life with a segmented time. That's not what God died for, is a segment of time where he fits in your schedule. You know what he died for? He died for a lifestyle of being aware of him. He died for a lifestyle of constant communication with him. He died for a lifestyle in which he truly is a part of our everyday reality. That's what he died for. And you know, for me personally, um, and I'll challenge you on this shameless plug, you're gonna hear it two times for the Ivy, but we talked about this week um, on the Ivy, go back and watch it, you too, Road to Life Church, the Ivy last week. But um, we talked about specifically the idea of prayer within a practical sense and a, and a mindful sense. And one of the practical senses I've been doing is, is for the past probably two weeks now is every day when I wake up, when I go to bed and at lunch, I kneel and pray. And it, sometimes it's five seconds, sometimes it's 45 seconds, sometimes it's a few minutes. But I promise you this, it has changed my reality of how I view prayer because when you kneel, it reshapes the posture of your mind and centers you on what you're doing. So I've been doing that, and I'd encourage you. Maybe some of you guys, that's too much. It's really not. It's a minute and a half a day, but don't get me started on that. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is for some of us, first thing, what we do is we roll over and look at our phone and immediately get immersed in a to-do list. Maybe if we rolled over and got a missed, uh, immersed in what God's doing, our days might be a little bit better. What am I saying? I think a lot of the times we want to follow God and we don't have a prayer life. If you follow God and you don't have a prayer life, you're not following God. I'm sorry. A constant state of prayerfulness, a constant state of not segmented time, but constant communication. That's what Paul meant when he said, I pray without ceasing. Not the segmented reality of ceasing, but the segmented, I'm awake and therefore I'm awake, I'm in communication. Second thing is this, don't make a difficult season a dangerous one. Don't make a difficult season a dangerous one. You know, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit of a grinder. I've kind of done pretty much everything you can think of work-wise in my life. And what's funny for me is how I function is, is if I have a very difficult job in front of me, what I do is I assess, okay, if I bust my butt, how long will this last? Because I'm trying to, sort, to shorten what I have to do and get done with it. And I hope most of us function like that, but I know that's not necessarily always the case. But what I do is I will evaluate if I bust my butt and I have all the tools here and I focus on getting through this and I can shorten this window, I'm all in and I'll give everything I got. 
But you know how it works a lot of the time spiritually is God gives us a difficult task in front of us and we sit there and instead of looking and saying, God, what is the spiritual posture? Who is it? The, who are the people I need to get around? What is the wisdom that you're trying to impart? How is this? I need to worship because this is going to be intense. Instead of us thinking, God, how do I shorten this? We take a difficult season and make it a dangerous one because we don't change our habits, our thinking or our lifestyle. And we wonder why God isn't moving. The reason he ain't moving is because he's not going to do it all for you. The reason you're probably in a difficult season is because he wants you more aware of him in your everyday life. That's, that's me personally giving it to you as straight as I can. As straight as I can. If you're consistently up against the wall, chances are he's probably trying to get your attention for you to up your game. That's I'm sorry, that's, that's about as meat and potatoes as you can get it today. If you're feeling a stress, an anxiety, a, a worry, a weight, whatever it is, chances are God is trying to get you to change how you function so you realize that if you function in him, you produce more. If you function in him, there's more peace. If, the, if you function in him, he can carry the load with you. If you function in him, he can bring life where it seems like there's death. If you function in him, you realize that actually that's the best way you could ever function and it's actually how you were created to function the only reason we function in this reality right now is because adam and eve violated the free choice instead of saying god i'll function in you and your boundaries they said i don't want boundaries there was one boundary don't eat from this tree but they violated that and for some of us, God wants us to function in godly boundaries and reality. We want no boundaries. We want no standards. We want no commitments. And we wonder why we feel like we're sleepwalking. Never fully aware of the presence of God. Never fully aware of who he truly is. Church, don't get stuck in difficult seasons that turn into dangerous ones that could implode on us. I've seen enough. And it's difficult when God gets people through difficult seasons. And then what he does is he tries to upgrade again, puts them through a difficult season, upgrade again. And then guess what? Maybe we fail and we go right back down to mastering. See, difficulties don't get any easier. You never get to the point where you're like, oh, yay, God. Perfect. Some of you guys are like, oh, you're a pastor. You don't get it. Oh, yeah, I lived through COVID too for our church. It was amazing. Just kidding. But once again, back to it, the thinking was different. It wasn't, this is a difficult season. It's a God, what is the new thing you're trying to do? And some of us, once again, we're stuck in difficult and dangerous seasons because we've never asked ourselves the question, God, what is it you're trying to do different? What is it you're trying to get my attention in? What is it you're wanting me to upgrade? The third thing, Another shameless plug, Psalms 51. If you're lost or broken or asleep at the wheel of life, sit on Psalms 51. This is another mention to the Ivy this week. If you didn't watch, go back because what you find is that David, God's chosen, anointed, royal king, the guy who's bringing it all back together to God, essentially screws up in a massive way. He, he essentially has an affair with a woman who's married, has the woman's husband killed. She conceives a child, the child dies. So he's literally broken. And what happens is, is at this place of just brokenness and at rock bottom, he cries out to God and says, God, 
This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And this is what I'm needing you to do. And that's Psalms 51. And that Psalm specifically was such a good one. He talks about blotting out his transgressions, washing him with, from his iniquity, cleansing him from sin, teaching him wisdom, washing him whiter than slow, snow, letting him hear joy and gladness, letting broken bones rejoice, creating a clean heart, renewing a right spirit, restoring the joy of salvation and the upholder of his life. Man, there's so much goodness in that, but right now, if you're somebody and you're like, dude, my life, you don't understand. My life, I've never understand this Christian thing. I never know what's going on. I don't, this church is cool, but... It's Sunday and this is kind of just what I do. Sit on Psalms 51 and see if it gets your attention. And every day you read it, say, God, what is it you're trying to speak to me about this passage? What is it that you want outside on my inside? Because I promise you, he might reveal some things to you. The last one is this. The only thing that can keep you awake is you making the choice to not be put to sleep. That's your choice. What do I mean by that? I remember, uh, and Javen's in here, we have done a lot of cross-country trips. My brother's in here somewhere, I think. But uh, we've done a lot of cross-country trips. And so what we used to do, though, is to save time is we would drive through the night. That's a really good idea until it's 3 a.m. And believe me, I had a system down. I worked at a, a, a supplement uh, distributor back then. And, and we used to combine five pre-workouts, two fat burners, and Red Bull. Some of you guys are like, is that, is that illegal? Yes, it should be. And what we would do is if we drive through the night, what we would do is we would combine all of these. And what we do is I'd put it in a water bottle. I'd sip on it. I would take sunflower seeds as I'm sipping on that. And then if it got really, really, really sketchy, I would pour cold water on my head. Some of you guys are like, how many times did you do this? A lot. We used to drive back and forth to Florida. I did, I've driven all over. But what am I trying to say is that ultimately, right, is at the end of the day, as I'm sitting awake, shaking from borderline illegal drugs, soaking wet in my car, chewing sunflower seeds that I'm, half of them I'm missing spitting out the window. Just, you know what I'm doing is I'm saying I'm going to stay awake because I want to get to a destination. And actually, I could take it a step further. I'm going to stay awake because I know if I fall asleep, I could cause a car accident. I'm going to stay awake because I want to get somewhere. I'm going to stay awake because I want to survive. I'm going to stay awake because this is part of the journey, but I trust that this destination is going to be awesome. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my eyes open, to keep my spirit aflame, to keep my heart alive, because there is enough people who live sleepwalking, and I will not be one of them. I will do everything in my power to not be a worst case scenario, to not be a watered down, to not be a, a lukewarm. To, no, I will be someone who can stay awake. Even when every circumstance and situation says, oh, it's heavy, you can go down. It's that time of night where you can just, it's that time of life 
We've all got great excuses. Oh, you know, I'm busy. Oh, the job. Oh, the kids. All that. And then all of a sudden, we wonder why we've never stepped into the fullness of who Jesus is. And God's sitting here saying, it's because you chose that life. What am I saying today, church? Choose to stay awake. And in closing, if you want to develop a a, a way to stay awake and, and a rhythm of staying awake, that's one of my words is the lifestyle for me is evaluating rhythms, relationships, and applied revelation. Rhythms are what you spend most of your blocks of time in. How do you sprinkle in a little bit of the Lord in there? relationships some of us we don't even realize that our relationships make us in such an extraordinary way but also a detrimental one and we're wondering why we don't really have faith with the Lord and really it can be attributed to everybody we hang out with doesn't follow God doesn't believe in God doesn't want anything to do with them and we're wondering why we don't and applied revelation what are things that you are learning that you're applying Because, man, it's not good enough anymore for us to just learn. It must be applied. If you're a really good learner and not a really good applier, then you're going to be a really good sleepwalker. Can we today just be challenged, but more than anything, inspired to be people who say, God, I'm awake and I'm aware. I'm in tune and my heart is with you. I know that what I do today directly influences my tomorrow. So I take ownership of my spiritual self right now, my habits, my makeup, everything I am, and I choose you. Let's all stand here.